Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest weekly podcast. So thanks so much for, for joining. And um, uh, I'm just yeah, looking forward to uh, discussing all this week's events. Plenty to uh, get through this morning after a busy Carabao Cup week. We can absolutely guarantee that there's going to be no golf chat. It's a golf-free zone for the next hour, uh, which I hope is a very good thing. And um, we might even have a few Only Fools and Horses tributes and impressions a bit later for you. Um, but we are going to start with the, um, the looking back on the League Cup and perhaps looking forward to what should be an absolute monster weekend, really. Um, it, it's a real, uh, real test um, for uh, early test for the two of the title rivals at Stamford Bridge on Saturday as well. Chelsea Man City, North London Derby. And as I say, plenty to look back upon um, from, from the League Cup this week. Um, Manchester City and Liverpool safely through. Um, and I, I guess let's let's start, shall we, with with the introductions. I've been very remiss there. Matt Matt Dunn, football aficionado, Daily Express. Jeremy Cross, chief um, sports writer of the Daily Star. David McDonnell, the Daily Mirror's Manchester man. Um, morning to you guys. And I just wondered, having seen the the League Cup in action. Um, this week, where, where, where do we where do we stand with it? I, I'm so passionate about the Carabao Cup. From I think it's great that Man City take it seriously. Uh, big clubs do. Big clubs generally win it, which is a really good thing. I think it's also a good learning experience. So I think Liverpool obviously produced some of some of their youngsters on on um, Tuesday night. It's produced some really exciting um, results. I think straight to penalties is a really good idea. And um, yeah, it feels like it's it's been a half decent week, Matt. Wouldn't you say for the for for the League Cup this week? Yeah, I'm just worried. I'm going to tell the FA Cup crossy that you've been having your eyes on its little sister. I think you can't um, have both. You got to pick one or the other. I'm afraid. Um, no. I love the Carabao Cup. Um, I thought it was a chance to see for fans to see what's coming through their club, uh, the big clubs. Um, it's also a ch- another chance to get some of the big clubs down. You know, in the in the lower. Le- levels um and and i think the midweek thing ha- helps i think the result on the night helps um that they they've kind of pioneered i think and i tell you what having been at qpr everton it definitely helped not having extra time and then penalties because yeah. uh didn't need any of that um yeah it's a great competition and like you say the big clubs tend to win it at the end of it um although i would say that didn't stop brentford uh frank's telling his players that they could win it which i thought was a very positive statement for him to make uh, and backed it up with a 7-0 win so uh, mm. uh so yeah there's there tends to be goals it tends to be fun you, you you get to see yeah there's talking points which hopefully will prove in the next few minutes um and uh yeah that's no, a great competition yeah dave you you were at um man united last night weren't you i mean that, that seemed like an absolute cracking tie to to be honest oh yeah it was yeah it was incredible i mean seventy two thousand four hundred sixty eight. i mean you know for a for a, a, a Carabao Cup tie is, is absolutely extraordinary. You know, when you look at the, the tennises elsewhere, and of course, you know, when you set that against the whole controversy, you know, Pep Guardiola, you know, imploring Manchester City fans to, to come to the games. Uh, I, I wasn't at City Wickham on Tuesday, but uh, I, and I don't know what the attendance was, but I'm told it was sort of sub 30,000. So for Manchester United to get, you know, virtually a full house for a League Cup tie. Uh, when you know no Ronaldo, no Pogba, you know no Maguire, De Gea, effectively the, what was the second string? Uh, it, it's, it's phenomenal, and it made for a great atmosphere. West Ham fans were in full voice, and there was about four four thousand there last night. It was a cracking cup tie, uh, and West Ham fully deserved, you know, their win. I mean, look at United; I think they had twenty seven shots to West Ham's nine, but West Ham, you know, took the early initiative, got the goal, and and defended diligently and resolutely and and won, you know, and it's a, it's a major setback. I mean, we probably come on to this, but it is a major setback for Manchester United because, you know, realistically, I don't, I, I don't feel they're going to win the Premier League this, this this season. I don't feel they're going to win the Champions League. So they're kind of effectively reduced to, to the FA Cup now. And, you know, Solskjaer is desperate to win that first trophy. Uh, but, yeah, West Ham, and in particular, David Moyes, obviously, with his, um, you know, the way he was unceremoniously dumped by Manchester United after just 11 months, uh, for him to finally get a victory at Old Trafford as, a, as an away manager uh, was, I think, vindication of, of, of him and, and, and you know, a reminder that he is a, 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 an accomplished football manager despite um, all the uh, issues, you know, and despite the what he went through at Manchester United. Yeah, it's been a bit of a topsy-turvy week for West Ham and David Moyes, isn't it? But I don't know whether they sort of kind of take the defeat on Sunday 
for for a cup run. They possibly, arguably, would. I don't know, but it's um, it worked out. It worked out well in the end. Uh, Jeremy, what do you? I mean, Man City are, are the are, you know the often the team to beat in this competition. They seem to routinely win it. Um, fielded a really strong team against Wickham. You know, it, do do you make City favourites again to 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 sort of maybe win it again? You've got yeah, Southampton, I, mean, I think, next. They've not lost a game in the competition since 2016, which is an astonishing record, really. They've won it four times on the trot. Um, and you can't see beyond them again, really, this season. Um, Guardiola loves, he's obsessed with winning trophies. You know, he's relentless in his pursuit of silverware. He wants to build a dynasty. He's halfway to achieving that already. Um, it means a lot to him. You know, he, he made a lot of changes the other night, but, you know, he's got such a great squad. Um, the players... He does bring in a top-class players, and they also do have some um, good young academy players coming through uh, the system. So it all looks rosy for City, and I fully expect them to to at least get to the final again this season. And it's also been a good sort of the competition was good for people like Phil Foden for the last couple of years. You know, I think Foden was man of the match in in one of those final wins. It, it gave him a platform really to stamp his mark on the uh, on the team at City. So. You know, it's it's a it's a well worth it's it's a worthy competition to Guardiola. It achieves a lot of his goals. Um, I'll be shocked if they don't go close to winning it again, which would be a historic achievement. Obviously, five on the trot. Yeah, I don't think we touched on it last week because it was sort of kind of it sort of the story almost emerged really after after we'd been on about the sort of city and and Guardiola's, shall we say, words with the fans. I mean, it <laughs> has been a sort of an interesting. Interesting little sort of take on it, isn't it? Really, I mean, where Dave, what do you, where, where, where do you sort of kind of stand on on that? Really, was that handled as well as it could have been by Guardiola? I don't think so. I mean, I didn't expect him to double down on what he said. Um, you know, he he said it, I think in midweek, and then at his Friday press conference, he basically doubled down on it and said, "No, I stand by what I said." I think there was a slight, in fairness to Guardiola, I think there was a slight issue in terms of interpretation there. You know, he was saying, look, we need as many fans as possible, you know, to come and cheer us on at the weekend. Uh, and he stood by that. Now, the problem is, you know, Manchester City don't feel the Etihad. You know, it's not a media agenda. It's not a, uh, a conspiracy of sorts. It's a fact, you know, against mm-hmm. Southampton, you know, in the nil-nil draw, there were quite a few empty seats. And, and Jeremy was there as well. And he'll testify to that. Now, of course, when they play the, the, the big sides, Liverpool's, you know, the Manchester Derby, you know, Arsenal, Chelsea, they, they tend to get a full house. Um, but I think, uh, you know, in, in the Champions League game against RB Leipzig, I think it was about 37, 38,000. When, you know, you've got a, a capacity of 55,000, that's that's pretty poor. Um, mm. Now, we know that Manchester City fans, you know, haven't taken to the Champions League in the way that, you know, likes of Liverpool and, and, and Manchester United fans do. And, you know, they've, they've got a rich history in the competition, a rich heritage. So there, there's mitigation there. But, you know, it, it is an issue that, that City have to confront. You know, they, they don't sell out the Etihad. Um, and it, it's something that has to be you know, addressed. I think Guardiola could have handled it a little bit better. I don't think he needed to double down on what he said. I think he, he was a bit out of order, if you like, you know, taking Kevin Parker, um, you know, the chairman of the Manchester City Supporters Association, to task uh, over his comments. I think fans have a right, you know, if, if he's going to question their um, loyalty and their commitment, then fans have a right to, to, to voice their opinion. Um, but as I say, I think initially there was some sort of um, misinterpretation of what Guardiola said. I don't think, you know, he speaks fluent English, but sometimes his command of English is, you know, that there's something lost in translation there. And I felt mm-hmm. he wanted to get the message across, look, we need all your support. We need everybody to come to the stadium, which I think is fair enough. But I think it, it, it's created this this issue where the fans feel that their, their loyalty is being challenged and, and, and they felt the need to speak out on that. Yeah, no, it's an interesting one. Matt, do you, do you, I mean, I was at Chelsea last night and Chelsea, I think Villa Villa were the better team first half, Chelsea the better team second half, eventually won on, on, on penalties. Do you think, though, that the sort of the tightness of the title race this season could have an impact on, on the other competitions, if you like, in terms of how, how seriously they view it? I was surprised to see Chelsea make 10 changes, Villa made nine. And it was, I don't know, does that does that change the... Does that change the sort of rules of engagement almost? It does for the FA Cup, but the beauty of the EFL Cup has always been that it's all over, uh, you know, effectively before Christmas, bar Mm. the last few, the the actual rounds that you want to win. So, no, I don't see that as a problem. Clubs use it to give squad members a game that need a game. Yeah, that's why there's 10 changes, because Chelsea are thinking over the 
Christmas period in particular, they're going to want these players at some point in the Premier League. So that, that's why the big clubs do it. But they still pick a team that they feel feel can win. Um, and uh, and I think there's a number of clubs who, who who like a run in this competition just because you know it does give game time to players who expect to play. So yeah, I don't see that impacting the competition at all. Uh, and a tight Premier League campaign will just add to the fact that you need a, a full squad firing on all cylinders. So uh, so no managers will welcome that. I thought. Yeah. So so Jeremy, Man United out of this competition after the first round that they play in it. What can they? What can United win this season? Can they win the win the Premier League? Most people would say no. Are they amongst the favourites for the Champions League? No. Um, win the Europa League? Yeah, yeah, they could drop into that and give that a go. Um, so then you're left with the two domestic trophies, of which they're out of one. How is that a serious blow for for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer last night? Well, Matt, you're presuming they'll finish third in their group. <laughs> yeah, let's not count any chickens there. <laughs> Look, you, you is is the League Cup top of the list of priorities for Solskjaer? Probably not. You know, he wants he wants to win something bigger than that. But we're now approaching a situation where he's been in charge for what is it now? Three years, Dave. Yeah, it'd be, yeah. It'd be three years in December. And he he's, he's becoming desperate to win something just to get that monkey off his back. If that's if that would have been a League Cup, then I'm sure he probably would have taken that. But realistically speaking, look for all the for all the strengthening they've done in the summer, United they are they are not a they are not going to win the title. I just can't see it. I just they're clearly already too reliant on Ronaldo's goals. Um, but he's, he's even Ronaldo is not going to keep up that scoring record all season. So. Um, Chelsea and Man City are, I think are a level above Man United in terms of winning the title um, I'd be shocked if it, if it wasn't between those two this season uh, I think what we learned last night is as well the fringe players that Solskjaer has available to him like the Matters and the Marshalls of this world they're not, they're not they didn't perform last night and I don't think they're good enough to sustain a challenge on two or three fronts uh, Marshall looks disillusioned and, you know, you can't really blame him for being like that, given who we've signed this summer. So, you know, I expect him maybe to agitate for a move in, the, in January. Uh, and Matt has, you know, he's, he's been a wonderful player down the years, but he's, he looks so slow and he just can't seem to adapt to the, the, the game. Such, such a quick game now. I don't think Matt has, you know, is going to make any, much of an impact really at United. So, um, yeah, they're not going to win the Champions League. I don't think they're anywhere near good enough to win the Champions League. And I don't think they're good enough to win the um, Premier League. So, like Disco said earlier, the FA Cup might be his best best shot at winning something this season. Um, they came close last year um, before making a mess of it. So, the pressure is on him and it won't ever go away. Um, because, you know, for a club of that standard and that history and that tradition to go so long without winning something is, is totally unacceptable, really. Yeah, it does. It does feel like that, doesn't it? I mean, it is. I do think, as as we discussed last week, Disco, it's it's it's, it's uh, very difficult. I think to kind of uh, lower expectations when you sign players of the quality of Ronaldo and Varane, isn't it? Yeah, I think, and I think we mentioned this last week, as you said, Crossy, that Solskjaer um, said. Uh, I thought it was a standout quote from him when, in, in the wake of Ronaldo rejoining, he said, "Look, you know, when you have a player of his caliber and and Varane, there's no hiding place." For the players, no hiding place for the rest of the squad because the professionalism, the standards they expect and, and that they reach every day means you can't slack off, you can't hide. Mm. The same thing for Solskjaer, there's no hiding place for him now. He, you know, he's got no excuses now. He's effectively got the squad. Okay, there might be what they probably need a, a, a left back to kind of supplement Luke Shaw um, and probably a right back because I don't think Wambasaka is really cutting it at the moment. And Dallow last night didn't look anywhere near good enough. So there's there's a couple of weak links in in, in the in the squad, uh, and and a, and a defensive midfielder of real quality. But effectively, he's he's been given the you know the players he wanted this summer, you know, and last summer obviously you know um, with all the signings. So really, there's there's nowhere to hide for him as well. And and he's going to be found out if if they don't sustain a challenge this this season. But as as Jeremy just said, then you know the. 
what what last night really told us was that the second string or the the rest of the the, the squad, the supporting cast, simply aren't good enough. Mm. You know, and that's the difference between Manchester United and Manchester City. You know, one of the reasons Manchester City have won the League Cup for the last you know four years is because they have such a such strength in depth in their squad that they can make changes and they can and they do rest players. They bring in. I mean, I think it was De Bruyne, Mares, Sterling, Foden started on the. Uh, on Tuesday against Wickham. Now I know it's only Wickham, you know, with all due respect to them, but you know Manchester United couldn't have, have, have fielded a stronger side as that, you know, for their key players. They had to bring on Fernandez and Greenwood um, to try and salvage the tie. So I think that's the issue they've got, you know, as 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 sort of box office as Ronaldo is, and you know Varane is obviously you know such an experienced and uh, serial winner for Champions League, you know, wins with Real Madrid. As as good as those signs have been, they don't have anything really in terms of quality below that to help them sustain a title challenge um and i think that that's going to be the issue this this, this season for them you know if they start to fall off the pace in the league if they unravel in the champions league you know they lost the young boys in the group stage opener you know in what is a relatively easy group um they're going to be serious questions after after Solskjaer. so the pressures are on the pressure's always on at manchester united because of the size of the club and the and the constant focus and scrutiny um and i think this this is a you know we, we do sort of throw these terms around, but it really is a make-or-break season for Solskjaer because there's a section of fans who are you know, definitely behind him. You know, there has been progress season on mm-hmm. season. You know, they've gone from third to second. Now they, they, the fans and the club, I think, expect to, to at least put up a sustained chance. They may not win the Premier League. I don't think they will. Jeremy's right. And I, I don't think anyone really thinks they're going to you know, make a great impression in the Champions League. But at least you know continue that progress and if he doesn't do that if there's a regression this season i think he could he could come on to come under uh some uncomfortable scrutiny you know come the spring the other problem is john that um all those big managers around him his rivals they've all they're all won things Klopp, Klopp's mm-hmm. had great success at liverpool Guardiola's winning stuff for fun down the road across town at City and, and, and Tuchel came in at Chelsea and won the biggest prize of the lot within six months his Champions League mm. so it just sort of highlights the scenario around Solskjaer even more it makes things just just makes things even look even worse for him that he's not he's not he's not winning anything yeah it is it, it is it's a strange set up and, and whenever we talk about it we're always besieged by comments and we do look at the comments really just because they're just Ole out. Is uh, you know, is Conte really interested to come to, to to United? It's just they're absolutely littered, frankly, with them. And it's it's that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, Antonio Conte, I have to say, will be surely be the next kind of really big one on the um, you know, next kind of cab off the rank, if you like, as superstar managers. If he goes to Real Madrid next summer, let's see, or kind of. But if he doesn't. Then surely a Premier League giant will, you know, like you know, like United will. The thing is, though, Conte, what, you talk about Conte, but I was talking to someone about this the other day. If I'm not suggesting one minute United are going to sack Solskjaer, I don't think they will. But mm. say if they sacked him at Christmas, what, where would they turn? Who would they go to? All the best managers are tied up. Mm. You know, mm. it, who's the next? Who's the next big thing coming through? Nagelsmann mm. gone to Bayern Munich. You know, out Chelsea. Pardon. Pochettino will have been sacked by then. <laughs> well, yeah. Plan, plan D. <laughs> it's just, you know, the pool of talent out there, managerial-wise, is, is quite small. It's like, it'd be a real pickle for United, that, I think. Uh, and I think, Crossy, they've, they've staked so much on Solskjaer, you know, after the the, the real mishandling of the, of the, of the post-Alex Ferguson era, you know, with David Moyes, with Van Gaal, with Mourinho, all these kind of false starts. They've gone to the kind of United route. They've gone for that continuity. You know, someone who knows the club inside out, um, knows the values. You know that kind of mini me Ferguson type type figure. They've handed him a new contract in the summer, I think, till twenty twenty four. So they've invested a lot in Solskjaer. And I don't think, as Jeremy says, they're about to throw that all away. But they will come under pressure. The, the board will come under pressure if if United fall away. And you know, okay, they're. The joint top, if you like, the Premier League at the moment with 13 points, but you know that can soon unravel. Uh, and I think it's going to be a really fascinating few months, you know, up until Christmas to see how they cope because they haven't made the best start in the Champions League. They're out in the League Cup. You know, it, it's really, you know, the pressure's on. Yeah, as Alan Chamberlain points out, Big Sam's always available, so you, 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 you never, 
<laughs> you, you never know. I do think. I think. I think we've established by now that Alan is a is a Liverpool fan, so I'm sure it's not for me. Any 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 bias there at all, Alan? <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, Matt, let's let's move on to this weekend, and I do think we we um, probably have got one of the big uh, title crunch games already uh, in the offing on Saturday lunchtime. Um, why it's on oh, Saturday lunchtime? Oh, no, that's on Sunday, Jeremy. That's on Sunday. Is it? I think I would say that's far less likely to have an influence at the top of the table. Maybe it's the battle for who might finish tenth, but um, but we'll see. But um. But Chelsea Man City, Matt, it, I, I must say, I, I, you know, Saturday lunchtime kickoffs my, you know, least favourite slot really. But I don't know, it rarely sort of kind of rises to the occasion, doesn't it? I don't know why. Is that because we do all just got out of bed or kind of just trying to get ready for the weekend or something to kick in? But I don't know quite why why it is. But do you expect this to be a cracker? Uh, I expect both teams to be up for it. I don't know if it'll be a cracker. Um because Chelsea's game plan will be to stop City playing. And, and they've done that successfully every time under Tuchel. I mean, in, by the old rules, he's beaten Pep three times, isn't he? Chelsea should mm. keep him, shouldn't he? Um, it, it was, you know, they've done the same thing every time. City have turned up without a striker. Tuchel knows how to defend against that. They always do. City have only scored one goal in three games there. Um, Chelsea have, have managed to get one at the other end. And it's not been the most exciting game of football, but... It's been a sort of tactical master plan that, that that's come good every time, and, mm. and I don't see it being any different again until he, you know, and then you know, no doubt the person who will nick that goal for Chelsea will be Lukaku, because mm. Chelsea identified that in Timo Werner they didn't have a striker who was up to the task of uh, firing him to the biggest honours, even though they somehow meandered their way to the Champions League final. It was by no. You know, it was like despite Werner rather than because of him. And they've just added another level with Lukaku, and that's the level that City needed to add with Kane, with Haaland, with whoever they should have signed in the summer. And, and I think as time's going on, you know, that they can pull out the odd result with this false nine, and De Bruyne's a hell of a player to, to have in there and to try and do something. But that is still the big hole in Guardiola's team and, and the difference between Chelsea and Man City. Yeah, no, sure. Lukaku's made a hell of a difference, Matt, and he? he's been a yeah, super yeah. signing. Isn't he? Only yeah, that goal he scored in the uh, first Champions League game was just uh, a handful of people in Europe can can do that. And it, you know, look in old school terms, it's lumping it up to the big fella up front. But the skill and the the ability to create that space in a modern defence and find the corner of the net, it, it's just something a lot, a lot of strikers just don't have in the uh, in their locker and. Yeah, Chelsea have that as their plan B. If they, you know, if they can't walk the ball into the goal, they can always use Lukaku like that. Uh, and that's not all he offers as well. By the way, he's a link-up man. You know, he's everything else. But yeah, they, it puts them in very fine fettle, I think, to, to just nick that goal, which is what's going to be the difference in these big six classes. Yeah, top four clashes. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Are the, are the big title games, the big sort of title deciders, Dave, the, the games in which City will miss? Not having a sort of a classic number nine, not signing Harry Kane the most, do you think? Possibly, but uh, listen to what Matt said then. I mean, have, not having a recognised striker didn't really hurt City last season, did it? I mean, they won mm. the title without Aguero, who was basically hostage to injury for, for most of the season. So they can cope without um, a striker. Um, although, having said that, I think that was that was the position they had to fill. Um, more so than Jack Grealish. I mean, as, as wonderful as Grealish is, as talented as he is, and and given everything he offers, you know, given they didn't get offload Bernardo Silva, they've got Sterling, they've got Maras, they've got Foden, they've got De Bruyne, they've got an absolute embarrassment of riches in, in those kind of wide attacking roles. Uh, so I think a number nine was the position they had to fill as a priority, um, you know, ahead of Grealish. I mean, if you've got 100 million to spend, I would have made sure, and I know Kane was the, was the first choice, that didn't happen, but I would have made sure that money went on a striker, whoever it was, a proven striker. So, yeah, I think that, that that may come back to bite them. It didn't last season. Um, you know, they, they coped admirably without Aguero uh, and the goals were shared out. And also, you have to look at this season. I think they've got 23 goals already in seven games. Now, admittedly, you know, one of those was, was Wickham, um, you know, this this week. But they, they are scoring. OK, they didn't, didn't score against um, 
Southampton who didn't score and lost one 0 to Tottenham in the in the opening game of the season. But there are goals in that in that team from everywhere. Um, so you know, only time will tell whether they whether they you know will rue not having a a, a recognised striker. But they play a different way, don't they, to other teams? You know they. You know they do play with this false nine. They, they they do like to interchange up front. You know and and there's a lot of movement within in the forward position. There isn't a kind of target man such like there is with you know at Manchester United at, at Chelsea with Lukaku. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, as I say, I think they should have strengthened and got a striker. Yeah, even if it wasn't Kane. Uh, and I know there's a kind of paucity of, of top quality strikers out there. And you know Lewandowski was obviously touted, but I mean he's he's obviously you know. At the wrong, the wrong age, um, uh, wrong end of the spectrum, age-wise. Haaland, obviously, um, is is the big one. Of course, he's available next summer when his release clause kicks in. Um, so yeah, only time will tell whether whether that will come back to to buy City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeremy. It's, it's, it's much, I was just going to say it's a much bigger game on Saturday for Guardiola than it is for Tuchel. Mm. Because, like Matt said, Tuchel's become his bogeyman already. He's only been at Chelsea two minutes. He's, you know, and obviously. We were all at um, the Champions League final when you know Chelsea completely outthought City, um, and that's really scarred Guardiola uh, losing that game. So it will be desperate. It'll be desperate to win on um, on Saturday and sort of put that to bed a little bit. Um, so I think it's a much much bigger game, a much more important game for City than it is for Chelsea. But in, in that Champions League final, Crossy, yeah, I mean Guardiola really. You know, handicapped himself from the start of the year by with, with the team he picked. You know, by yeah. not picking, not picking the holding midfield and not picking Fernandinho or Rodri, kind of played into Chelsea's hands and, and Tuchel's hands. So, I think his team selection will be will be interesting. I mean, he's got injuries. That's the other thing as well. So, um, Gundogan's injured, Rodri's injured. Um, Fernandinho was really off the pace um, at, at the weekend against Southampton and and really looked every one of his you know 30, 36 years I think he yeah. is. So. I think that's going to be fascinating. Who, you know, the, the side Guardiola picks, or the side he, he he's able to pick, um, you know, in, you know with, with all the enforced absences he's got injury wise, um, because I think City can can get found out there. They haven't got you know a Rodri in there, um, or Gundogan's not you know really a holding midfielder. You know, he likes to get forward, he likes to score goals, he likes to be creative. That City could come unstuck with, with, with that. So I think that's going to be key. The the the, the personnel available. And obviously, you know, if I mean Chelsea is so well drilled and well organised under Tuchel, aren't they? They're like a machine now. So, you know, they, they defend so well; they're so difficult to break down. If City fail to score on on Saturday, this whole argument of failing to sign Kane will come back into the sort of arena again. It'll be all drummed up again by the yeah. media, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Matt, Matt why do you feel as if Tuchel has? got this you know incredible hold over over Guardiola is it is it something then that quickly develops when you when you get your first win over someone that kind of you know spirals but it does seem a real thing doesn't it now um yeah it does but again he's not played against him with a proper striker it's you know he's worked out how to cope with with his three centre-backs he's worked out how to cope with the fluidity of City's play Mm. Uh, and yeah one goal over three games you know, you always got a chance of winning there and nicking one the other end, um, and it's as simple as that. I think I don't. I don't think it's any special hex that he's got over him, other than Guardiola hasn't got that plan B. So you know, they keep going. And to be fair to Tuchel, you know, when people do seem to work out Chelsea, like Spurs did arguably for the first half at the weekend, he can always readjust things. He's a very astute tactical, uh, you know. Wizard, you'd almost be tempted to say some of the master strokes he pulls off, and uh, yeah, no one's really tested him as to to how he's done. And that used to be what Guardiola could do. Uh, and I just wonder whether he's got the variation without Aguero um, or, or without that sort of figure to do some of the plays that, that otherwise in the past he might have pulled out to beat teams. And, and I think that's where they're lacking. Too many similar players don't give him enough options. Mm, yeah, I, I, I have to say. It's- Chelsea were, were terrific at Tottenham on Sunday, weren't they? I mean, is that oh, the, yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. I mean it was it was tremendous. Funnily enough, he did a sort of the exact reverse of his substitution on Sunday because mm. it was quite interesting to see sort of Mount coming on for Kante last night, which which suggests heavily that Kante was being spared for Saturday because he just played forty five minutes, and it, it, it feels like Chelsea have suddenly got an awful lot of options all over the pitch. 
And, you know, they're looking very strong, Chelsea, aren't they? Well, they invested very heavily last summer, don't forget. Mm. Uh, and in hindsight, Frank Lampard probably wasn't quick enough to take immediate advantage of that. Uh, and, and coming back to Dave's point about City winning the title last season without a striker, I don't think they win the title of two shells at Chelsea all season. Um, you know, he was can cantering up on the rails to get from mid-table just to get in the top four. So I think if he starts the season as Chelsea manager with that squad, then I think they would have pushed him a lot closer. Uh, and and I think perhaps that's the, the complacency that, that allowed City to go a summer without signing a striker. And, and I think it's coming back to bite them. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree with Matt. I mean, I tipped Chelsea to win the title, you know, this, this season like, like, like many. Um, and I think the interesting thing, just worth pointing out, is that on the back of City's failure to get Kane, they're, they're trying to turn Ferran Torres into a striker. You know, they're playing him through the middle in all the big games and with some success in fairness. I don't know how many goals he's got, maybe four goals, three or four goals a season. But, you know, Guardiola's likened him to, to Vardy in terms of, you know, the, the runs he makes in behind, the, the movement, that you know, the pace he's got. Um, you know, he's got a long way to go before he gets anywhere near Vardy's, Vardy's achievements. But it, it's just a measure of the, of, of the failure, you know, to, to recruit a number nine. Um, that they're now trying to sort of mould Torres into a, into a striker. So I'm pretty certain we'll see Torres play through the middle of, um, against Chelsea the weekend. Yeah, let's, let's just go around the room. Who, who, who do we think? Who, what, what's the score prediction Saturday? And, and is this the? Uh, will we see the champions from one of these two teams? Do you think, Jeremy? Let's start with you. Yeah, I think one of, either of these two will let me be top of the pile come come May. Uh, prediction two hmm. one Chelsea. Wow, so that uh, that would that would indicate that maybe Chelsea are your favourites also to win the title, is it? Uh, Just you're talking to a man who, who predicted Brighton would get relegated, so you're probably asking <laughs> the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, look, it's not far off. They're in the Champions League places, but yeah, a wonderful, wonderful team they are. There's no doubt in that, and you know you can never. It's always dangerous to sort of back against Guardiola because he he always comes up with a plan that seems to work. I just think Chelsea under such got such momentum under Tuchel. The playing on the back of being European champions gives them so much confidence. When you watch them play, they're just they're just everyone knows their role. You know they're so well organised. They're just a really really well drilled team, which is which is a really big compliment to, to the job Tuchel's done there. So I just think that what I don't think there'll be a lot in it. I just think Chelsea have the edge. Mm, yeah, yeah, Matt. Matt, how do you see both? Yeah, I was I was the same as Disco. I was Chelsea from the start of the season, having seen them. The moment they signed Lukaku, they're the immediate favourites. Um, and uh, and yeah, I see them winning 2 0 on Saturday. It'd be another. Yeah, I don't I don't think City will score again, which would be their downfall. Oof, yeah, Disco. I was going to go two one, but Jeremy's beat me to it. So I'll go one 0 Chelsea. I, I think Chelsea, obviously at home, you know, for all the reasons the guys have said, they're so strong, so well drilled. Um, uh, yeah, I can't see past a, a Chelsea win. Mm, no, it'd be, be fascinating. What's really. your prediction, John? Oh, Jeremy, now you've put me on the spot. I, uh, yeah, look, I do. It's, it's really interesting that City, you know, they were mid table in December and the title, title challenge didn't really kick in until the sort of the new year. So, certainly not writing them off by any means yet, but I do fancy Chelsea. And I do think that Chelsea, having got Lukaku, it's just been a game-changing signing, really. Tuchel is such an energetic, visionary coach. I think they'll win on Saturday. I think they'll win 2-1. Two, two, Chelsea, Chelsea are a good shout for winning Champions League again this year, don't you? Well, the only thing, yeah, I do. I do think it's a difficult balance. I really do. City obviously went so close, you I know, when 90 English minutes away from dinner. Wins it this year, don't you? Do you know what? I, I just feel that who's going to win it out of Spain? I, I can't see that yeah. anyone's good enough or consistent enough. I, I think the Italian, strong, yeah, I think the Italian clubs look at the, the Italian clubs look at the Premier League and say we ain't going to beat them. Yeah. I really, I really do right now. They're, they're, they're on a different level. Yeah, and um, and I think you're right. I think the only the only real strength, you know, and sort of team that could sort of maybe challenge the Premier League at the moment right now is Bayern Munich. So. Yeah, they could they could do it. I mean, they're just in a great in a great place. We know yeah. that we know that it's boom and bust, don't we, with Chelsea and managers. But I just think if you're a manager, you don't you don't care. You you can have sort of kind of two or three years of unbelievable kind of opportunities and 
and players and sort of you know presented with great gifts in terms of talent that's that's signed for you and I just think that's that you know it's an amazing opportunity for for, for Tuchel and when Tuchel came in I just wasn't I wasn't sure whether he would be, you know, the right fit. I did think he'd give youth his chance, and and it's so it's proved because he's done that previously in his career. And I think he's he's blend of kind of young players, the players that he's inherited within the squad and the setup and structure, plus the new signings. He, he's he's been fantastic. He's been a breath of fresh air. He's got he's great fun as well. Brilliant fun, and he just must he must be great fun to work with for the players. So, is there any you know, um? Is there any truth to the rumour that the game's kicking off at 12.30 on Saturday so the players can watch the Ryder Cup afterwards? No. Oh, no. lovely, lovely way you got that in there. I have, why are two games kicking off well, on, on Saturday? Because the Cortinas um, are playing a gig at Old Trafford Cricket Ground. And so on the orders of Greater Manchester Police, the kick-off between Man United and Aston Villa has been moved forward to 12.30. For that mm -hmm. reason. The who? Cortinas. You're, no, not down, you're not down with the kids, Crossy. No, no clearly not. Uh, well deflected, Crossy, by the way, from the golf. Well done. Is that, is that a wind-up? No, true story. Yeah, that's the How reason did they, why. did they get a licence to play? You know, it's just... That is, that is the story. Well, that's the, that's, that's the reason, not the story. The reason why. Wow. Um, wow. But on, on Tuchel, I think as well, just very quickly going back to that, is in-game management is absolutely brilliant as well, isn't yeah. it? Uh, uh, you know, and you know, like Mourinho in, in his pomp, you know, in, in, you know, in his prime, you know, you would see, Mourinho would see situations in games and, you know, doesn't matter the reputation of the player, doesn't matter, you know, half-time or even before half-time, he would make changes if he saw something. And more than often than not, it would work. And as you alluded to there, Crossy, you know, the, the change, um, you know, bringing Kante on for Mount against Tottenham was an absolute masterstroke, you know, and after that, you know, Tottenham couldn't lay a glove on Chelsea. So I think, you know, the likes of Solskjaer, I mean, obviously Guardiola and Klopp are, are so experienced and, and you know, that their in-game management is superb as well. But I think that's where, if you, if you were talking, Solskjaer is lacking, you know, in terms of his ability to kind of change games, you know, while, you know, in-game management, you know, while games are going on to see situations and, and really react to them with the right substitutions. And that's where Tuchel is, you know, probably the Dave. best. Let me ask you a question. If Tuchel was the manager of this Man United squad, would they win the title? Quite possibly. I think they go a lot closer than, than they than will do under Solskjaer, yes. Tuchel is, Tuchel is a terrific coach and an energetic manager. I think he's he's got so much talent. He energises players. He's also not a miracle worker. And I still think that basically Man United's biggest Achilles heel is just so, it's so damn obvious to anyone. It's the it's the, it's the it's the midfield axis. It's 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 yeah. the number six. It's the pivot. It's I just can't believe it's not been addressed. I mean, I I have, I have to say I really like McTominay. I think McTominay's such a good player, but I just think he needs someone to play alongside, you know. And Fred or a fading Nemanja Matic is just not it's just not going to sustain you for a title. Challenge, I don't think it's, just, I mean, it's bizarre the imbalance of the squad. The worry for Manchester United fans is that, you know, apparently a, a defensive midfielder was not on the agenda this summer. Um, from and that has come from you know, pretty yeah. on, on high at Manchester United, which I find staggering. And I'm sure it was high on Solskjaer's list of priorities because mm. he can clearly see the weakness there as much as he, you know, publicly endorses Fred and McTominay. Um, you're absolutely right, Crossy. They do need uh, a specialist there, a Kante, you know, a Fernandinho. You know, all the, all the best teams have got that kind of fulcrum uh, to, to to protect the team and, and and to you know give them that stability there. And that that's where United are lacking. You know, you've got all the creative players: Pogba, Greenwood, Sancho. You know, all these guys. Uh, Ronaldo, of course, has come back into the fray, but if they just get undone. You just feel that's their underlying sort of vulnerability uh, in mm -hmm. the middle. So yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see how that plays out. Disco, you left out Granite Xhaka in that list. That's of a great course, list. the mighty Granite Xhaka. Yes, mm. mid, 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 midfield kingpin. But yeah, um, very, 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 well, no, we should we should move on, guys, to to the other sort of the the arguably the third team in the, in this title race. Basically, Liverpool. They're going to Brentford. I think Brentford rapidly becoming quite a few people, quite a few neutrals 
sort of second team in the Premier League for the way they play Ivan Tony and for Thomas Frank, the manager, who looks such a, you know, such a great deal of fun, isn't he? I mean, Matt, but, you know, Brentford, can they cause Chelsea a problem? Do you see also sort of Liverpool, Chelsea, do Liverpool a problem? Yeah, so um, can they cause Liverpool a problem and sort of kind of, you know, just how close are Liverpool away from the, from the other two? In a weird way, I kind of hope so. I've got the pleasure of Mr. Frank's company later on this afternoon in his press conference and having tuned into the one uh, before his uh, Oldham game is, yeah, force of nature. It's, uh, he, like as, as I alluded to earlier, he told his players they can win the mm. EFL Cup. He'll be telling his players that they can beat Liverpool uh, and he'll explain to them how and why. Um, whether they do or not, obviously, is <laughs> the big question. Um, but it's not beyond the realms, you know, it seemed weird on paper at the start of the season, but but some of the, the way they've played and the way they've gone about things, you think, you know, why not get a you know a freak result? And good luck to them on that. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those because Liverpool, the problem for Liverpool is if they're going to compete in the title, which they want to do, they need to make sure that they don't slip up in these games because I don't think they're going to quite have enough points from the games against their rivals to win the league themselves. I think they might might need to just make sure that you know, they don't have some of the slip-ups that uh, Manchester City have had already this season. So they desperately need to win every single game, um, I think, just to keep that momentum going and keep in the hunt. Um, and, and if they do that, then, then they can be up there challenging. I, I, I think they'll be outside challengers, but they'll believe that if they can keep in touch, you know, with, with fans back at Anfield as well, which is going to be a big, difference to uh you know some of the f- weird results that we had last season um then then i think they can be up there um a- again injury dependent and and if they have horror injuries like last season they forget it but but that first 11 uh showed that that, that you know they are title win you know title wins showed the season before um and it looks like most sellers right back on it as well which i think is key for them um it wasn't it's not so much some of his some of his assists as well i've noticed this season you know, some of his passing, it's not just him putting it away, it's him getting involved in the link-up play. Uh, so all the time he's firing, then then they've always got a chance. And unfortunately for Brentford, uh, that could be what, what Steran doing at the weekend. But, but it'll be a fascinating game. Yeah, yeah, no, it will be interesting, actually. Um, and then we've also got the, the, the small matter of the North London derby, the sort of the uh, the battle for mid-table su- superiority for the for this one at the Emirates on Sunday afternoon, really. It does feel like it, guys, doesn't it? Two sides in tradition, uh, two sides in, in in transition, both got lots of tradition, but, um, but, but quite a long way from where they probably want to be, although the sort of kind of... You know, it, it's quite amusing simply because Spurs won their first three, Arsenal lost their first three, Spurs went top, Arsenal were bottom, and Arsenal, with a 2-0 win, could overtake Tottenham by, uh, what is it, 6.30 on, on on basically Sunday afternoon. So, I mean, it is an amazing sort of kind of turnaround from, from highs to lows and shows just how quickly it's come. I'm not... I'm, I, I, be amazed if it works out like that because football never never plays out like you think it would will do in the script. So, um, but but let's see. But I mean, are Arsenal on, the, on a better trajectory now? Did do we think a Spurs kind of is Nuno is Nuno such a bad fit? What do we think, guys? Well, you've got to remember Nuno was what sixth, seventh choice to mm. take over. You know, so we don't wish him any ill, but. You're on hiding to nothing when you know you you've taken a job where you weren't the first choice. You weren't even the first, fourth choice manager. So I struggle to see what the identity is with Spurs. To be honest, um, when you watch them play, I don't think. I mean, it might be too soon to judge him. Actually, Nuno, but you know he's only been there uh, a couple of months. But um, it, it, you want to see some sort of discerning pattern of play. I just don't see that. They've had back-to-back 3-0 defeats. I mean, Chelsea didn't even have to get out of the first gear to beat them last weekend, which is worrying mm. from a Tottenham point of view. And obviously, Kane's struggling, isn't he? He's not scored a league goal yet. I think it's the first time in quite a few seasons that he's gone four or five games at the start of a campaign without scoring. So, you know, obviously the backdrop to the Kane thing is not helping matters. Does he, does he, is he still fully committed to Tottenham? Because their season revolves around his goals. Yeah, well, you know, if he's—I'm not suggesting he's sulking, but he—he he does look disinterested at the minute, and um, 
you know, it looks it looks like a, a bit of a lost soul up front for, for Tottenham. So, um, is that a worry for England? Uh, well, if he's if he's not on form for Tottenham, it's it's it will be a slight concern. Although Kane always produces the goods for England, doesn't he? No matter what what mm. happens with his club uh, situation. So, I don't think Southgate be too worried about it just yet. But I mean, if he goes another three or four weeks without scoring, then it it does become a an issue. I'm not saying he'd ever consider leaving Kane out of the team, but. Um, I, you know, you look at this game and you think, well, Arsenal are probably on the better path right now than, than Tottenham are. Um, you know, they've got some good young players coming through, um, Smith Rowe and Saka, and then Odegaard's starting to chip in with some good stuff. So, um, they've got the momentum. So, you know, I fancy Arsenal to nick it. Dear, mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Did this go you? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think for, for Tottenham, the Kane issue is is a huge one. I mean, it was interesting. Gary Neville in, in midweek was saying, you know, his body language is all wrong, you know, and he's he's probably thinking, you know, here I am again. You know, I didn't get the move I wanted to Manchester City. You know, here I am again you know, in the same position, not going to be challenging for trophies, and, and that feeds the rest of the team. I think you know he's such a pivotal figure. He's the you know the the, the main man at Tottenham, and I think that that sort of disillusionment, you know. Can, can sort of fester and, and, and can spread to other players. And, you know, if they look at him and think, well, you know, he's our, you know, our, our main man. And if he's not interested, then, and, and, and not, you know, committed, um, then that that, 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 that really taps away confidence. So, yeah, I think Cross is right. I think you'd, you'd have Arsenal current form as favourites. Um, and you wouldn't have said that. I mean, I saw him get whacked 5-0 by, you know, Man City a few weeks ago. And I think I was on here on, on this podcast and was very, very critical of, of Arteta. But, you know, he seems to have turned things around. And, you know, as, as Cross said, Odegaard has really come into his own in the last few games. Um, so they have got the players there. Um, and it, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because, you know, you, you, you thought at the start of the season that, that, that Nuno was the right fit. And now, you know, that's that, that that's really being questioned. So, yeah, it's a huge game. I think a bigger game for Tottenham than it is for Arsenal in, in, in many ways. I know it's North London derby. It's huge for both. But I think with the slide that Tottenham have, currently experiencing, you know, they can't afford to lose that game. I think yeah. what's also yeah. crucial for Arsenal, Crossy, is if they can keep party fit. Yeah. You know, if you can keep party fit for most of the season, he'll be such a, such a big player for, for Arsenal. Because he is a top player, we know that. But he's been really... Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Is that what your lifestyle's about, Crossy? Keeping party fit? <laughs> very good. A match fit. <laughs> yeah, very, very good. Yeah, up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to, to <laughs> be honest, what we all refer to. We're far too old for party. party fitness. Yeah, <laughs> Matt, I, I must say you, you, you're a big admirer of Arsenal. We've learned that down you, the uh, down down the, the last few months, haven't we? Sort of, you know, you're always beating the drum, saying what a well-run football club it is. Uh, closely followed by your admiration, really, for for, for Nuno as a Tottenham <laughs> manager. Absolutely. I mean, I... well, Mikel's pulled up. We were there when it happened. Mikel's pulled off an absolute masterstroke. He's threatened the cool. Arsenal squad with a family fun day if they don't back up their ideas. And they've won every game since. And, you know, I think that's probably the last thing they want. So, uh, so they're, they're right on it again. Um, it, it's a bit of all these 1 0 either ways, it's a bit of a myth. But what I would, what I'm detecting now from the other side of London, is as we, we've spoken about before, Unai Emery's downfall at Arsenal has a lot to do with the chemistry and the behind-the-scenes mm. mood. I'm sensing that Spurs isn't as happy a place as it as it has been, and uh, and uh, I think there's a big issue there. Um, I th we were at, um, at uh, Nuno's press conference on Tuesday. I was mm. I was in. Um, he mentioned the word problems seven times in the same 30-second soundbite, which is never a good message to be putting out publicly. Um, and it just feels like it's tense there at the moment. And, and you speak to people at the club, mm. uh, and I don't think it's a particularly happy places. You wouldn't expect to have on the back of two, three-nil drubbings. But I think it's a little bit deeper than that. Uh, and I think I think it's been handed a poison chalice by Daniel Levy, you know, Daniel Levy appointed a winner to win things in Mourinho and he didn't win things. And now he said, you know, it's part of the DNA um, of the club. The new manager has to be, you know, he has to dare is to do and all the rest of it. Uh, uh, and as soon as you have problems and it's not flowing football, it's a massive stick to beat him with. And, and it, they're not playing good football at the moment. Only yeah. Leicester have fewer shots this season in the Premier League. Um, 
and they've been a bit of a surprise in that regard. Uh, yeah, they're about nine shots a game they're at. It's not something that you turn up and think, great. You know, Harry Kane in particular um, has been off it. Um, you know, it's been pointed out that Joel Matip's had more touches in the box than than Harry Kane this season. Um, uh, uh, you know, and that's kind of how reserved they've been. I can't see any evidence of daring. I can't any see any evidence of doing. Uh, uh, and that's probably where it's all going horribly wrong at the moment. Harry Kane st- stood there bewildered up front, thinking two years ago I've got Christian Eriksen playing all these great balls in. Now I've got Oliver Skip. Um, you know, if you're talking, that's harsh on Skip, that's harsh. On Skip. It's not his really his position, but in terms of caliber, and he may come on to be a great player. But in terms of caliber of player that around, mm. it's yeah. a sign of the direction Spurs are going in. Christian Eriksen wasn't that much of a player when he first arrived. Um, to be fair to to Tottenham, but he grew over those five years, and it's like the clock's been turned right back five years. Except that Harry Kane, instead of being a young, bright striker eager to do his best, is now a world-class player playing at the front of, of a fairly inept team with very little idea. Deli Ali isn't sparking again yet. Um, he may do, he may never do. Whatever's gone on there, it's been a tough few seasons for him. Uh, and then you look at Moura is, is great, but he tends to run into blind channels too often. Son is their other big hope. Uh, and if he gets back properly fit, he might click with Kane again. But Hoiberg's a strong player. They have got a strong player in midfield. But then you've got a defence that's not looking particularly strong anymore. You know, Vertonghen and Alderweireld in their pomp were so much stronger. And Kane's looking at all this going on around him and thinking, where are we going? And the only answer is downwards. Uh, uh, and for the first time in years... Like you say, Arsenal could be above them, and and that's not been something they've had to worry about Spurs for a little while. Uh, mm-hmm. And suddenly, you know, the momentum just seems to disappear completely, and mm-hmm. with it, the mood. Cutting, cutting, Matt, cutting. It's very rare that you you know you're more you you know more outspoken about Tottenham and Arsenal. So yeah, the, the, the power shift, the mind, the gap is 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 really is really changing. Listen, let's have a final look at before we move on to our funny um, about just about quickly about the relegation battle here, and it does it does sort of shine a light on Watford v Newcastle. I, I really don't know where Newcastle are going under Steve Bruce. Don't know that that's particularly all all of Steve Bruce's fault. It says here Southampton Wolves as well, and Wolves have they done the right thing with with the with the change of manager? I must say they're playing some nice stuff, but they're certainly not getting the results. You know whether the results will follow. But the one I I I, I just don't understand what's what's happened with Norwich. You know Norwich basically lost uh, ten Premier League games at the end of the previous you know, um, campaign in the top flight. And they've kicked off with five straight Premier League defeats this time. They look a worse team this time than when they previously came up. They sold their best player from last season in the summer in Buendia. And yet, I don't know, I'm not feeling a great deal of... Everyone's going, well, yeah, but it's Norwich. And it feels like... I don't know. I, I keep on reading positive pieces about Norwich, and I just can't, can't quite understand why. Surely Norwich deserve a bit more scrutiny and examination, don't they? Because if you're a Norwich fan, you surely got to... I mean, even if you go down, you know, and sort of strengthen each time, you've got to give it a better fight than you did last time. And it do, it doesn't feel that they will, or is, or is that harsh? Uh, you spot on, Crossy. What, I mean... Look, Norwich are sort of will always be regarded as a bit of a yo-yo club. But if you're a Norwich supporter, you must look at the people who run the club and say, "Hey, guys, when are you going to learn from past experiences? Mm. They get relegated, they come back up. They get relegated, they come back up. Somewhere in that process, there has to be someone taking the bull by the horns and saying, right, this is a futile exercise.' And there's a lot of money involved in getting promoted, but some of that money has to be invested better." Mm. more heavily in terms of strengthening Parker's team so he has a genuine chance of surviving otherwise I mean you look at them now they've got what no points they're at the bottom of the table he's got two goals in five league games I mean the, the, you can't see you can't see him staying up already when it's only we're not even in October yet and you're thinking you just can't see how they're going to stay up can you 
I just don't yeah. get how the people who, who, who make all the key decisions at boardroom level haven't learned from what's gone on in the last two or three years. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really strange one. Newcastle, I just want to touch on Newcastle. Any hope for Newcastle? Well, what do they hope for? It seems to have lots yeah. of hope for it. Thriving, isn't it? That's all they... That's yeah. all well, they no, I mean, they seem to, a lot of the fans almost seem to want to be relegated. There's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, we said it was all going to go wrong. I mean, I don't know what Steve... I mean, Steve Bruce, you know, we've had runs in, in the past, and I, I think he's a great manager and doing the best of what he what he can do with, with what he's got, with, with what Mike Ashley gives him. But there seems a determination... To, for it all to go wrong up there uh, and in the midst of it all Steve Bruce has kept them up for a couple of seasons uh, and you know we all know that Newcastle's not going to be a thriving happy place until Mike Ashley's gone but no one wants to take the club from him so I don't understand why Newcastle fans are, are sort of turning on Bruce I don't know who's going to come in and do a better I mean Bruce is doing you know statistically as good a job as Benitez who seemed to uh, have won them all over uh yeah, a few years ago. Um, I, I just don't get it. And I, I think perhaps it's because I'm not from the region or whatever. And I, you always have to be careful speaking as an outsider about Newcastle because I get that it's almost like a religion up there. But I, from, from the outside, I don't see what it is that fans want from this season uh, and what they expect, to, what, what's achievable, other than getting behind the team, getting them up, trying to create some sort of atmosphere. Because, you know, St. James's Park with an atmosphere, a positive atmosphere, is a hell of a place to to play football, and perhaps that would help the team, you know, lift them from their current position. No, I totally agree. It's Burnley, very, look very very strange. Strange. Burnley look like they're in a bit of trouble as well, don't they? This season, yeah, they do. I was, I've got to be honest. I was surprised that Sean Dyche signed that deal, mm. but maybe that's a good sign of good sense from Burnley's position. You know, don't get me wrong, because you know Sean Dyche is Burnley's greatest asset without a shadow of a doubt, and yet. If you're not actually playing into and giving Sean Dyche what he needs, which I think he's always sort of established, proven Premier League players, um, then really, you know, you, you, are you backing him? That that's the point. You know, he's one he's one of the big earners actually in, in sort of the Premier League, isn't he? Sort of, he's a, he's a you know, he's a big commodity for for Burnley and the most important person at the club. So it's good to see they've given him the contract. But let's let's see if they back him in the market with the players that he wants. If you see what I mean, so I don't know. We 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 write them off each season, and, and they and they surprise us. But yeah. um, but their home form at the moment is, goals, is, isn't it? is dismal. Oh, dreadful! Isn't it creativity. Yeah. If Neil doesn't shine, yeah. then you know where's the creativity coming from? But um, but there you go. Anyway, listen, guys, we're going to finish with an end finally. So this week. Our eagle-eyed producer, Connor, had, had actually spotted this, obviously, a couple of days ago, and it did seem to have caught a new um, light, actually, today, because I think then sort of kind of FIFA are investigating it. But it's about the story, about incredible story, about the 60-year-old vice president of Suriname decided to play a football match for the club that he owns. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's an astonishing story. So in view and maybe in tribute to, to one of the best football stories of the week, the question is, what is the most bonkers thing that you've known a football club owner to do? So, Matt, shall we start with you? If you like, I'm going to uh, take you to Yorkshire. Richmond. Enough. No, even more bonkers than Richard. Richmond, uh, he's... Uh, Ken Richardson, a man, did you cross swords with him ever, yeah, Jerry, back in the day? Yeah. Um, took over of Doncaster in 1993 and promised to take him to the Premier League. Um, I mean, as a manager, you're bound to be nervous when your owner actually owns a sack company. Uh, and sure enough, that sort of thing came to pass. Uh, Sammy Chung was the manager, turned up for the first day of the season at Carlisle um, for his third season in charge got to the ground uh, to be sacked an hour before kickoff the first day of the season and told, oh, Kerry Dixon's here to take over. You better go home. One hour before kickoff. That didn't work. That started off okay, but then Kerry Dixon used to get annoyed by the notes that were coming, being sent down from the director's box, telling him who which substitutes to bring on uh, and which not, and eventually complained that he wasn't being allowed to pick the team. 
because uh, the owner was was having his say so. Um, then there was he was replaced by his numerous serious appointments um, before uh, Ken Richardson uh, alighted upon the appointment of a man at Stockport, whose only previous football experience had been at Stockport County, uh, Mark Weaver, as manager of the club shop. He had no actual football experience at all. So he came in. In 1998, they got relegated with minus 83 points, by which time Richardson had joined the coaching staff actually in the dugout to save him having to write all these messages. Uh, and they were wearing a borrowed kit from Sheffield United um, because they, they were so short of money. But that's not the best bit. The best bit surrounds the ground. Uh because initially he had his eyes on the old Bellevue Stadium, primary piece of real estate, um, which he put up for sale in the Telegraph, advertised for sale in the Telegraph, um, which rather antagonised the local council who actually owned the ground. Um, he didn't even own it, and he was advertising it for sale. So they were then at loggerhead. So he decided to take things into his own hands um, and got in touch with a former SAS friend of his um, and asked him, to burn the stadium down to try and uh, do an insurance scam and force the issue, which all went well, except for this guy from the SAS uh, dropped his phone at the scene, which police found, quickly traced back to its owner, looked through his previous calls and said, oh, he's made a call to the home phone number of Ken Richardson. They called at Ken Richardson's house, pressed his answer machine and uh, got the message, um, the job's been done. And uh, so that all ended up with him um, eventually going uh, going to court, um, denying all charges, um, but being sentenced for four years in prison um, with the prosecution saying that his testimony had been the worst concoction of waffle, piffle and flannel they had ever heard. Um, thankfully, What's the Oh dear, oh dear. Make a living out of waffle pickle as well. I think 54 minutes playing for, for your team probably pales a little bit into insignificance compared to Yeah, that. I like it. I that like it. Things have picked up a bit for Doncaster. All from memory, or is there a little bit of research to remind yourself? Uh, nudged, nudged along. <laughs> Fantastic. The final one, Fantastic. Detail, Love it. Love it. <laughs> being sent to prison for all done for libel, but no, all he, was he had previous of having um, he was banned from racing for 25 years, um, for switching his horse flocked and gray with another horse in a race, um, to try and sting the bookies. So, um, so it was probably never going to work out that well. And uh, uh, and yes, he's he's thankfully no longer at the club. But, uh, yeah. Which is surprising. Yeah. Could I keep you? Could I keep you boys in, in, Go the, in God's own county of Yorkshire and take you to Leeds? Yes. yes. I think you know what's coming here. But they Which used to have, going have, for? Used to have an owner called Massimo Cellino. Oh, wow. I met him a couple of times, and I'm not kidding you. He was the most bonkers individual I've ever met, come across. And um, he um, had this weird superstition about the number 17. He thought it was really unlucky. Anyway, he sat in um, the director's box one day watching a game. I can't remember who they were playing, but he noticed that Paddy Kenny, who was the um, Leeds goalkeeper at the time, it came to his attention that Paddy Kenny was actually born on the 17th of whatever month he was born, born in. So he decided he wanted to sell Paddy Kenny to the highest bidder simply because he was born, his birthday was the 17th because he had a aversion to 17. Kenny King was one of the most expensive players they had. One of the highest earners, one of the most important players. Just because he was born on the 17th of a month, he wanted to sell him. Crazy or what? Mm, that is that is absolutely... He also crazy. banned the colour purple. Didn't have anything purple in the, in the ground. And he wouldn't allow company cars to be delivered on a Friday. He thought Friday was a, an unlucky day. That's, that's like Mancini. <laughs> company cars. When... When Mancini was in charge at Man City, he banned the colour purple. Um, Did he? Training kit change. Yeah, had a training kit that, that had a purple trim or whatever. Had quite, quite a lot of purple. Yeah. It's an Italian, Italian thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he refused to have it. And then, of course, the famous time when they were, I think they'd beaten uh, Man United in the FA Cup semi-final 2011, I think. They played Stoke in the final. And he insisted the the the, the coach, the coach went you know, the same route. Uh, and they lost the police escort on the way, but he insisted that they go that way. 
um, because it worked against Manchester United wow. uh, and their team hotel. But my, 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 my one isn't as fulsome as that, and I, I was never witness to this, but I think you'd have to go a long way to beat Sam Haman, um, you know, who uh, I think, Crossy, you know, you and I and Matt probably had dealings with um, yeah. in the late 90s at Wimbledon. You know, stories of him burning players' clothes and still being, you know, crude messages on the, on the dressing room walls to fire the players up, I think. That was a game against uh, West Ham, uh, you know, when he was when was known. But the most bonkers one of all was him. I think uh, Spencer Pryor was the player who uh, moved from Manchester City to Cardiff when Haman was Cardiff owner. And apparently, in his in his contract, one of the clauses was he had to eat a Lebanese delicacy, which was sheep's testicles. <laughs> mm, mm. I don't know whether Spencer Pryor went ahead with it. Um, but uh, on more than one occasion, I'm told that Haman tried to get players to to eat sheep testicles uh, cooked. Um, I may hasten to add, not not raw, because they were uh, they were or are a delicacy in his native Lebanon. So I think that's um, that's pretty bonkers. Yeah, that is good. Yeah, I love it, love it. And uh, there I was thinking you'd all we'd be fighting over Michael Knight and pales into insignificance. Keepy uppies, uh, Old Trafford, really. But um, but there you go. Brilliant guys, thanks so much, and thanks so much. Nice to see you and. Um, yeah, we've we've managed we've managed a whole hour with with hardly any mention of golf, which is a beautiful and wonderful thing and salvation for for, for someone like me this weekend. Yeah, that's tomorrow, Crossy. Don't forget, Crossy. You'll be glued to it. Come on. No, 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 no. no. You'll be watching every shot and foot. No, 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 no. I shall be turning over every page and switching every channel. But anyway, I'm sure it'll be good fun and enjoy it while it lasts. Um, but guys, thanks so much. It's lovely to see you. And uh, everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. See, see you same time, same place next week.